The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Bud Elliott. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. I'm Chip Patterson. NFL Draft Week is here, and we have been just spending the last weeks and months pulling our hair out and grinding on gritting our teeth at all of these takes on these NFL draft prospects and on these college players and, and the anonymous scouts and the mock drafts and the mock trades and the trade value. We are here to sort through all that. We're just going to tell you about the players. And so uh, we know that our Cover 3 podcast listeners wide range of college allegiances and probably a wide range of NFL allegiances. You have players from your favorite team that are going to go get drafted. You have uh, an NFL team that is going to soon be receiving other college players. We're going to hope to be your place to come and get all of the information on them uh, here on the Cover 3 podcast. That includes this show today. That includes a Thursday night reaction show, and that includes kicking off next week with a show on Monday, which, I mean, you're not going to get anywhere else the kind of analysis on some of those day three guys the ones we were excited to see go, uh, you know, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell can always offer in good ad- advice in terms of uh, fit and, and the way that they might be able to participate at the next level. CBS Sports HQ is going to be your home on NFL Draft Night. Danny Cannell, DK in studio, breaking down all the picks. Uh, and that will be, of course, uh, before we uh, we sit down for our final podcast. I've got a, a list of questions. I, I've wanted to let the conversation you know, flow a little bit and, and maybe uh, wander from time to time, but I I want to start with uh, something that, you know, Danny, you, you just mentioned uh, before we hit record, we were talking about some of the quarterbacks and, and among my quarterback related questions is, is Justin Fields getting a fair shake? We can get to that uh, here in just a little bit, but grading the quarterback class as a whole DK, are you, you kind of? We understand that they're going to be drafted high because of the way this game works. But as a whole, after looking at it compared to other quarterback classes, you know how how are you starting to feel as we uh, we start to approach uh, the first round on Thursday night? I'd say it's 
like, I don't think it's the greatest class of all time. I don't think it's in that conversation yet. I wouldn't predict it to be the greatest class of all time. I think, and I think I said this in the last pod we were on, I think Trevor Lawrence is the only quarterback in this class that I would feel comfortable taking in the top five. Just saying, yep, I don't feel that much risk. I think the floor is there. Um, you know, it depends on what is it like going to be like with Urban Meyer, Daryl Bevel, the offensive coordinator. Like, it's a tough franchise that hasn't had a lot of success. Kind of concerns me, but I would say, yep, totally confident in that one. Everybody else, like Zach Wilson of the Jets, good luck. Like, and maybe the upside is there, and he blows us away. And then all of a sudden, if you get two quarterbacks out of there, then it changes the perception of this draft class. But remind you, Sam Darnold was somebody that everybody loved coming out of USC. I was not quite as high as on Sam Darnold as I was as, as some people. I thought there was top-tier arm strength issues. I still, I'm still not buying him to him as the Carolina Panthers answer. But so much of this, what we do with quarterback evaluations, quarterback speculation, so much of it has to do with where they land. Like what type of surroundings, who's the, what offense are they running? Like I'll almost feel I'll be more hot takey after the draft. Like whoever goes to the 49ers, I'll probably be like, this guy's a pretty good chance to succeed. Rookie of the year. Yeah. Cause I trust Kyle Shanahan. I trust the picks that are, or I trust the talent that's around them. I trust John Lynch. Like, I kind of trust what's going on there. The Jets, like, let's say Justin Fields, like, somehow there was a surprise. Like, even Zach Wilson, I'm not that high on him because of his surroundings. I don't know if I trust the Jets yet, so I think it's going to be a little bit of a mess. And then you get in that, and trust me, I've been there, that cauldron that's the New York media, you know, that is brutal, that is tough. And then everywhere you go in New York, people, like, they'll call you a bust after six games if you're not balling. I mean, it's it's just tough. So, I mean, if and if you see... One of these guys drop, which who knows if it happens or not, and they drop to a surprise situation, then I might be like, hey, this guy went fourth. He could be the rookie of the year. So I kind of base the evaluation on where they end up. That's why I was bigger on Justin Herbert when he went to the Chargers last year. I was like, this is going to be pretty good for him. Pretty good opportunity. You know, so it's kind of it's a cop out a little bit. I'm not blown away by the quarterback class overall, as some people are. I think some of these guys have pretty good, you know, ceilings of what they possibly could be. But I also think there's pretty good risk with almost all of them. Danny, let me ask you something about Mac Jones. I'm curious on your thoughts on this. If it was any other team than the 49ers who are basically like a team that is, for the most part, ready-made to win. And I know we want to focus mainly on the college aspect of this, but I'm going to bring it back here in a second. The 49ers are basically a quarterback away from being a really damn good team, assuming that their whole D-line doesn't get hurt like it just did in this past year. Like, if you're trying to build – like, to me, they're trying to guarantee that they have at least decent quarterback play, which I think Mac Jones – like, the floor on him is really high. The ceiling, I think, is a lot more questionable. Although, look, physical tools-wise, Tom Brady doesn't have amazing physical tools, and he's he's been okay. Um, Like, would Mac Jones even sniff a top-five pick – if there wasn't like a very weird top three team, like the 49ers, like normally if you're drafting in the top five, you don't have the 49ers level of talent and ready-made like ready to win now type roster. You see what I'm getting at here? Yes. I think Mac Jones is one of the tougher quarterbacks to evaluate in this class because of the talent that was around him. I mean, and he 
maximized it. Don't get me wrong. He had an incredible year. But do you know how easy it is to play in that offense with the greatest play caller that we saw last year? Like, and he made some tight throws. He made some throws under duress. There were definitely some, some head turners. We we're like, oh, whoa, I didn't see that from him. Because no one saw this coming a year ago. Um, but I think he's a really tough evaluation. When I see Jimmy Garoppolo, who is a, I would say, like average to above, slightly above average NFL quarterback. Like, I don't, I'm not ready to just bag on Jimmy Garoppolo. To me, knowing John Lynch, knowing Kyle Shanahan, to me, there's almost something that's missing from Jimmy Garoppolo in an intangible perspective. Like, I don't know if they're, Probably I don't know health. what. Yeah, it could be health. Yep, absolutely. Could be availability. He's been hurt a lot. Um, is it leadership style? Is he not, you know, that was a rumor about Justin Fields. Is he not the guy that's grinding all day long? Because that's what Kyle Shanahan is. He's a grinder. He wants you in there at 6 a.m. studying film before practice. I don't know. I, and this is pure reckless speculation. It, to me, it's not about Jimmy Garoppolo's talent. I think it's in good enough talent, and he was – right in the Super Bowl, to, and it wasn't even his fault that they lost. I mean, the defense gave up the third and long that allowed the Chiefs to come back. Otherwise, the 49ers are champs. Um, so to me, I, I just – I don't think Mac Jones physically is that much of an upgrade over Jimmy Garoppolo. Now, I think Justin Fields and Trey Lance could be, but are you going to bet your careers on these guys that they're ready to win now? On any of them. I try, I'm still – this. the third pick overall is the most fascinating, dramatic pick that's out there. And that's the pick that I cannot wait to see what they do. And I would absolutely love it if they threw a massive curveball at everybody, either traded or – why would they have traded before? But, like, what if they take Kyle Pitts? Might be able to get more for it now. Right? Yeah. Well, like, what if they like, took a Kyle Pitts? I would love that. And I would say, you know what? I would think they would be a better football team with George Kittle, Kyle Pitts, and Jimmy Garoppolo, like – with continuity of the offense, not having to break in a new quarterback, I think that would be a sick combination. They're just trying to lock in a floor. Like, they're trying to guarantee that they have at least decent quarterback play in case Garoppolo kind of goes in the tank again, right? I mean... You know you know what they're doing? Here's my theory. I talked about this with Brinson on the Pick 6 podcast when I did a prospect profile on Justin Fields with him. No matter whether it's Mac Jones, Fields, you know, Trey Lance, I think that what San Francisco is doing and what they believe they're in a position to do, because I think Kyle Shanahan is so confident in his offense and his ability to run the offense. And you hear like Kyle Shanahan wants a guy who he could pretty much just, you know, tell what to do and he'll do it. I think that they look at any of these guys as an upgrade over Garoppolo, just from a salary cap situation. Mm. I think we're looking at a situation where when you have a coach like a Shanahan or a McVay or any of these offensive gurus that you think are, you know, a step ahead of everybody, like we have seen running backs become fungible in the NFL. They don't get second contracts. They don't get the big contracts. And it's shown to give running backs that big kind of second deal hurts your team because, again, we're in a salary cap. There's only so much money you're allowed to go around. And I think San Francisco is in a situation where Jimmy's getting paid a lot of money. They want to bring in another quarterback on a rookie contract, cycle through, so that way they could spend money elsewhere and then whoever it ends up being, whether it's Mac Jones, Justin Fields, or Trey Lance, when their rookie deal's done, San Francisco is going to be in the market again for another quarterback because they're going to want to keep the cap hit low on them to allow them to spend elsewhere. That's my theory. I think quarterbacks mm. with certain coaches are becoming more recyclable and fungible and more just, you know, system QBs in a way. Joystick. If that's the philosophy, then don't you think it favors Justin Fields and Trey Lance? No, I see that's no. I think Mac Jones, because... 
I think Mac Jones does a lot of things well. I, I think that when you look at him, if, if you're putting all these dudes in like a combine kind of situation and having them take their shirts off, Mac Jones is far and away the least impressive of the group. But I do think that he's kind of like Chip, like you were saying, a joystick. I think Mac Jones in that aspect is like, all right, this is what I want you to do. This is what you're going to do. And I think Mac Jones is capable of doing a lot of it. Like, I think he's smart. I think he's a very good anticipatory thrower. I think he's a very accurate thrower. And I think Kyle Shanahan would like that. Me personally, I would rather have the ability of Justin Fields mixed with those kind of things too. And I think Fields for me is a much higher ceiling, but like Bud's getting to, I think that you could make the argument that Mac Jones's floor is a little safer as far as him just not being a bust where maybe with Justin Fields, it doesn't work out and you're regretting it. But... It's just, it's a really interesting situation to me overall. I will say, like, I, I've i seen Mac Jones more than any other quarterbacks in this draft. I went back and looked. I saw him nine times in high school in person, which is just crazy. But, like, he played for Pro Impact 7-on-7, seven seven, so I got to see him mul- multiple years. You know, they, they played, you know, kind of the highest level 7-on-7 seven seven circuit. I, I saw him in high school. I, I always thought that he was actually a very accurate, you know, deep ball thrower. Not talking about, like, you know, the 20-yard out and stuff, but as mm-hmm. far as, like, the ball over the top, I thought he did a really good job of hitting guys in stride with that. Like the, And for that, you know, Danny will tell you, you don't need the biggest arm. You, you need to, the, the right kind of combination of arc, velocity, timing, pace, right? And I thought that's something that can be kind of difficult to teach at times, um, although Josh Allen's apparently learned it a little bit more <laughs> this year. And certainly, it, like, your margin for error is greater when you have guys at Bama running wide open. But – there weren't a whole lot of Mac Jones throws deep this year where you had a guy wide open and he turned a touchdown into a 30-yard gain, right? For the most part, he was able to cash in those opportunities and, and he didn't really didn't miss when, when somebody hung a curveball. He hit it over the fence. Um, I totally agree with Tom on the anticipatory thing. I, I think he does see the field well and anticipates well. I, I'm not super convinced he's like the most pinpoint guy on the shorter stuff, Um I, I like I going back and thinking about like he would definitely wrong shoulders from throws mm-hmm. in high school. You would see this some on the underneath stuff at Bama, but I thought he got away with it because he did have good anticipation. And he is also a really good play action guy in terms of the the, the fakes, the footwork, the the body, uh, whatever you want, whatever word you want to use. But like the the posture and stuff as he's going through the fakes, defenses bite hard on on this stuff. And and he re- and the, what offense uses play action all the time? Oh. San Francisco. It's so like for those reasons, I, I think it it makes a, a it makes some sense. Although I don't know, I don't know if that would be the pick. I I, I like other quarterbacks a little bit better, but they all have some flaws. I, I think that what you mentioned too, like the play action. I think that that's something that is very often overlooked is how good certain quarterbacks are at selling it. Because like Aaron Rodgers even like during the years where the Packers maybe ran 15, 20 times a game. Like his ball fake on the on the play action was so good that defenses bit like hard every single time because they all looked like handoffs. And I think that that's one of those things that like a QB, the better you are at that. It's just one of those like when you're at the NFL level where there's just those little little ways that you could separate yourselves from others. It's a huge advantage to have. So if Mac Jones is the joystick, then like Justin Fields is the game glitch and the game glitch can work in your favor, right? Or the game glitch can like work against you. And it feels like Fields is like I, I personally, I'd rather have the glitch. Like I'd rather have the potential of Justin Fields being able to uh, break the game, do something that was not expected, being able to uh, extend the play and make an awesome throw down the field. I, I felt as though 
much of the analysis, and I don't, I'm, I'm not reading and watching everything, but I feel like a lot of the picking a part of Justin Fields this past year, like we, we always hear about the Indiana and the Northwestern games, right? Well, that those are two of the best defenses in the Big Ten. That was one of the best pass defenses in the country in Northwesterns, and Indiana is awesome. So I, I don't know. I, I do feel like, uh, I but feel that's like, going to be the closest thing you see to the NFL. And it's not even close to what you're going to see. So is that the Justin Fields? Is that like Justin Fields had 41 touchdowns to three interceptions, leading a 13-0 team into the college football playoff, but he didn't play any NFL-caliber teams. When we finally saw him play some NFL-caliber or NFL-caliber defenses or something close to it, but when we finally saw that uh, against maybe either Clemson in the college football playoff semifinal or against uh, Indiana or Northwestern this past year, that that's where the step... Like he, even being an Ohio State quarterback, there is step up in competition concerns. Do you know? Well, like, you know what's crazy. I don't even want to. I don't even want to speak these words. If he opts out and doesn't play last year, like none. Like your the last memory is the forty one and three. Lance. Like exactly, <laughs> he is Trey. Like exactly, Trey Lance skyrockets up. He plays one average game. It wasn't even that great that he played. It was kind of like spring exhibition game was okay. He's all upside. And Justin Fields, to your point, Chip, is what about Indiana game? What about Northwestern? What about some of the sloppiness? We don't even remember the Clemson game, which was maybe one of the best performances we've seen since Vince Young. Like that, that performance was epic. And he got wrecked right in the chest. Like it was bad. Like he got crushed, still bounced back. So I, I think he and that's why I'm a little bit still surprised about the Zach Wilson love. Like he's just been cemented it too, and everybody's like good with it. And you want to talk I about am not competition? Good with it. I am, yeah, I'm, I'm not, not either. I'm not either. But I just the I'm Jets surprised. Are good with it. <laughs> <laughs> but aren't you guys surprised that it's just been put to bed? Like, yep, there goes Zach. I'm not as sold on Zach Wilson as everybody else. To your point, Chip. Like, yeah, Justin Fields had those games. Did anybody watch? The um, Coastal Carolina game? Or San Diego oh, State. Those two yeah, games at the it, end I of the season. I heard it was the best game of the season, Danny. What are you talking about? <laughs> right? Look at how they played Zach Wilson. Like, BYU had such a, a person. BYU's talent advantage over its schedule was bigger. I think not really comparable even. Like, much bigger than Alabama's talent advantage over its schedule. Mm-hmm. Anybody disagree with that? Like, no. We, we all talk about, look at the weapons Mac Jones threw to. And that's true. His weapons are better than what Zach Wilson had. But relative to the competition, Zach Wilson's weapons were a lot better. He was basically never touched, right? Like he would freelance and do Mahomes type stuff, sometimes for no reason, right? It was like, wait, you Mm -hmm. got like a great wall in front of you. Like there's just stand there and throw the ball. There's no reason to like roll your right and jump. Um, I'd say the one thing that like really separates it for me guys this year, like when I'm looking at NFL guys and and they talk about like what their thoughts are on the draft, one of the immediate tells for me is if you actually watch these guys or not is when I talk about Justin Fields' accuracy. I think Justin Fields is a really accurate passer as far as ball placement, right? Now, I do think that if there's a knock on him, it's that sometimes he locks onto his first read too long. Mm -hmm. I don't think he identifies who's open quick enough sometimes, but that's a different skill than accuracy. Like, I think Justin Fields is much more accurate than Trey Lance's. I think Trey Lance... It's hard to tell because of competition and they run different systems. Trey Lance might have better recognition skills, but I think Justin's accuracy is better than, than Zach Wilson's. I think it's better than Trey Lance's and it's probably to me better than Mac Jones overall. 
I think some of those guys are better anticipatory throwers and better at understanding who's going to come open quicker. Uh, but I think accuracy is something that's hard to teach, and, and I, I would bet on that. Going, going back to the Zach Wilson and the BYU competition point, what I think gets overlooked a lot and what's really fascinating to me is like BYU as an independent program has typically schedules pretty difficult seasons. Like they play a lot of power five teams, but they couldn't do that in 2020. And I can't remember what it was off the top of my head, but I think doing using Sagarin ratings, BYU's strength of schedule this year was like 108th, 109th, somewhere in that level. But you look at the jump in Zach Wilson's numbers from his first two seasons to 2020. In his first two seasons, he was playing a lot of power five teams. He had good numbers. But, you know, they were good numbers. Well, they took a dip against Utah. They took a dip against Washington. Like, if you go back and you just find the toughest games. And And then 2020 comes where he's not playing any of those Power 5 teams. And his numbers skyrocket. And he looks amazing. And he's throwing to receivers who are open by 10 yards repeatedly. So, it's like, I get why people like him as far as his talent and his skill set. It's just, I think that there's far too much of the evaluation being placed on 2020. And I think that Zach Wilson improved from 2019 to 2020. I don't think he improved nearly as much as the numbers would suggest he did. Do you know what his numbers were in 2019? They weren't great. 6.1 adjusted yards per attempt, 6.6 unadjusted, 11 to 9 touchdown to pick ratio. Mm -hmm. I think he improved as a player in 2020. I don't want to take that away from him. And look, Justin Herbert's balling out in the NFL and he really wasn't a huge difference maker at Oregon as much as, as his NFL performance would have you know, led you to think retroactively. So I'm not going to dismiss the idea that, that Wilson could be good if he goes to the Jets. He could be. Um, I heard Bruce Feldman spoke with a scout, and, and he said he actually comped him a lot to what Mahomes was coming out of Texas Tech. But the scout noted, hey, Mahomes needed to sit behind Alex Smith, learn from one of the best offensive minds of our generation in the NFL – and had a really great support system around him, both in terms of culture and in terms of talent, whereas the Jets have like none of that and a defensive head coach, right? So, mm-hmm. I don't know, like, man. Defensive coach, NFL, not really – I'm not encouraged as far as quarterback friendly right there. That's a whole lot of run first, second down, chuck it on third, you know, on third and eight, which is not real QB friendly. I'm suspect on this if, if he goes to the Jets at two. It goes back to what Danny was saying at the very top, where it's like a lot of it with quarterbacks depends on where you land. Because, like, let's – you know, do a time capsule, go back in time. The Bears draft Mahomes and the Chiefs get Mitch Trubisky. Is Mahomes Mahomes? I don't think so. If, if Patrick Mahomes is starting his career under John Fox and then they comes in with Matt Nagy and Mitch Trubisky's working with Andy Reid, I don't think Mitch Trubisky's Mahomes with Andy Reid, but I think Trubisky's more closer to the Jimmy Garoppolo level than where he is now where he didn't even get the fifth-year option picked up and now he's a backup in Buffalo. Yeah. So it's, uh, I mean, Lawrence... I guess you throw him out of this. Wilson Fields, Lance, Jones. Do you think that, and some of them will be thrown into the position, but like of the non-Trevor out of those top five, who do you think could have that? Because I like that flip. Like Trey Lance to me, shook in my mind, is like if he goes somewhere where he doesn't have to start right away, that's awesome because his only full year of competition was two years removed from high school he was a redshirt freshman when he led them to a 16 and 0 national championship season. Like if I get what you're saying, but I would counter by saying of all those dudes, the dude who needs the most snaps is Trey Lance. <laughs> right. Fair. I mean, so the, yeah, I don't know. Do you think that the, like is fields ready to go? Cause Ryan Wilson floated. Yes. Okay. Ryan Wilson floated. Justin Fields 
hasn't actually got a long string of being a starting quarterback. Like it doesn't, he, he was not the, correct me if I'm wrong. He was not the starting quarterback uh, at the start of his high school career. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And yeah. He, it's only like his, you know, he ends up getting injured later in his uh, high school career. Of course, uh, you know, it goes to Ohio state before he becomes a starter. So he's got like one full season of being a starting quarterback. And that was 41 touchdowns, three interceptions, like the only player in Big Ten football history to have 40 passing touchdowns and 10 rushing touchdowns, one of the most prolific passing seasons in Big Ten football history, 13-0 going into the college football playoff, just losing in a heartbreaker to the Clemson Tigers in that college football playoff semifinal, come back, the uh, you know shortened season, lose some games, make it all the way to the national championship game, lose to Alabama. Like there is a thought that the Justin Fields ramp up says his best football still is yet to come. Yeah, but like I, I'm not disrespecting high school, but if we look at college, Justin Fields threw 618 passes in his college career. Mac Jones threw 566. How come nobody's talking about Mac Jones's? lack of playing time overall he was a one-year starter no Wilson's doing it as a positive where he's saying like if we really like start to think about the Trevor Lawrence like arc and the advantage that he had of being the alpha being a starting quarterback for so long coming in winning as a national championship as a freshman that like there's there's certainly the like there's meat left on the bone for us to be able to see Justin Fields take steps that uh that haven't happened yet I would guess that Mac Jones does not get that same Mac Jones doesn't get that same kind of treatment because he was at Alabama the whole time. Now right. Tua was Tua, but you weren't the starter. And I think that that's probably the the split there. Maybe. I, yeah. <laughs> Going back to high school, this was why ultimately I think most people still had Trevor over Justin, right? Like Justin had a little bit better physical tools, I think. And his arc that summer in the seven on seven and like elite 11 circuit was unreal. Trevor, on the other hand, was you know pretty much amazing everything he did, and he had been a dominant high school player since he was like 14 years old, right? And it wasn't like he was leveling off. He was continuing to get better every year you know, on a team that wasn't super loaded. He would carry them through the high school playoffs and, and, and win it. Um, I, think, I think that's just what makes him so safe, right? He's just dominated every level that he's faced. Coming up on the other side, we start to take a, a look down the draft boards. Where do we think the uh, the NFL is starting to you know, get lost in the sauce? And where do we think there might be some real value? That and much more next. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, so um, a little bit more of a a general uh, conversation to to get this going. And again, I'm very glad that we've got uh, Danny, NFL expert for CBS Sports HQ, and and Tom, who does a lot of uh, great mock drafts and NFL coverage. In addition to the letter, subscribe to the CBS Sports HQ newsletter. Always go get those winners. Finally got rid of Pete Blackburn. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Where... Where do you find, in general, that like your perception of college players seems to differ with the NFL consensus? Is there a, a particular theme? Is there a particular position? Uh, is there is there something? And maybe it maybe it's easier to express by pointing out a prospect uh, in this particular class, or maybe it's more general. Like I, for example, I have discovered that my inherent bias is snap count. I think that if you do your job really well for multiple years, and I watch a lot of you doing really well, I'm going to think that you are better than somebody who might have just exploded onto the scene or somebody who's got less of a sample size. Like my bias is because I like my football to have consistency. I've been Sabanized. I've been covering college football for more than a decade, and it's been the whole Saban run. I want to see you do your job at a high level uh, every single day. And so that kind of stuff makes me value players who maybe don't have the same kind of ceiling or the same kind of projection as someone else. Like that seems to be at the heart of my bias or where I tend to differ from a lot of the NFL consensus. I wanted to see if y'all had uh, other spots or other players where you feel like uh, you've recognized that that's happened over time. So I think you are the traditionalist where I think the NFL, the draft, and this has bothered me somewhat, is really morphing more into the NBA where the NBA drafts on potential. Like mm-hmm. you just see, Panay Sewell, I think is a good example. He only played one year of football at Oregon when he was 19 years old, opted out last year. He's still a baby, relatively young, hasn't played a ton. And yet I find myself looking at him saying, this dude could be the next 10 year starter for whatever team takes him, just locking down that backside. So I can see both sides of it. But at the same time, I look at some of these linemen coming out of Bama like Leatherwood, and I'm like, that dude's a multiple-year starter. Like, are we going to pass up on him? Like, and he's sitting there dropping where, you know, you get some of these other hot names like Panesa will come on. I totally see what you're getting. But I think, you know, ideally you see the perfect combination of both. But there's a lot of guys now, all they've laid down is a year, a little over a year of tape, and they're going in the first round without hesitation. And the whole opt-out thing is, again, that's something 10 years ago. I know we had COVID. I know it's a unique situation. But – could you imagine like the concerns about a player's attitude and character if he opted out 10 years ago, even five years ago, and now it's so he can play for us. Who cares? And that's, that's more of the NBA kind of, Hey, we've seen, we've seen all we need to see. He's done all he needs to do. Yeah. I think when it comes to evaluating by positions, I think that quarterback is obviously the still the one that nobody really knows yet. But I think that like what Danny is saying, as far as like, you know, offensive linemen, defensive linemen, linebackers, running backs. I think that those guys are kind of, I don't want to use the word easier, but I think there's a higher hit rate when you come with that because the similarities between what you're going to be doing at the college level and what they're going to want you to do at the NFL level, are they're, they're, it's close enough where you can easily kind of project what this guy is going to do at the next level. 
I think in the secondary, at certain spots, it gets a little trickier. And I think that what Danny was saying is right. It, it really does depend on your philosophy when it comes to drafting. Are, are you drafting a guy like are you swinging for the fences where you're trying to project what the guy could be? Or are you in a position where, you know what? I just need a guy who can play the slot corner for me. And this guy looks like he, you know, he's, he's already shown he's played three years. He, he can, he could do it. So I'm going to take him and maybe he doesn't have as high of a ceiling. And I think that we're kind of seeing that approach, like that NBA approach, particularly in the first round where you're seeing teams take a lot bigger swings than maybe they did 10 years ago. And so you're seeing more of like, if you're a college football fan and you've been watching this, you know, all these kids for the last four years, you see some of these names going in the first round. You're like, who the hell is that? I don't know. <laughs> Where'd he play? What'd he do? And so you got kind of confused as a college football fan. Cause there's like all these guys who are far more productive. And in your mind, who are far better players who are getting passed up. And I think that's kind of just the byproduct of the potential over the, you know, the floor. And I think that as you get into the later rounds, you start seeing guys that are you know, that are safer picks. Although you do still see some lottery picks late because who cares? It's a six round pick. Let's swing for the fences. But I think we're seeing more risk earlier than we did in previous years. Well, that's also because of the rookie cap changing, right? Like mm-hmm. it used to be riskier to drop a huge contract on somebody, but now that, that the CBA has changed and, and, you know, veterans get paid a lot more rookies get paid a lot less. Uh, you have less downside risk in selecting some of these guys and, and, and more you know potential upside. It, it is less punitive now to whiff on somebody. So it makes sense to, to swing for the fences, right? Uh, yeah. A little bit more. Um, I We talked about fit with with quarterbacks. I mean, I, there's an interesting study out there, and I'm, I'm Googling to try to – sorry about the clicking in the background there. I was trying to figure out, you know, who did this. But it actually – they found over a, a fairly recent period that um, receivers in the second round – so, like, not first-round mm-hmm. guys, receivers in the second round are better when they have worse athleticism. Mm-hmm. which is kind of crazy, right? Because you're taking lottery ticket swings. Right, but it implies that they that that they do the little things better than the guys with the great athleticism because if the guys who had the great athleticism but but did slip to round two, you know, if they did those little things, guess what? They wouldn't be in round two. They'd be in round one. So, like, look, uh, did Ross from Washington, did he go round two or round one? I know he got hurt a lot. but like, John Ross, he was yeah. like a top 10 pick. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, I mean, Okay, All kind of, of a decent 40. example of kind of bad, but like he he couldn't get off the press to save his life, right? I, you know, I look at some guys who I know are good college players who I think are going to be useful players in the NFL, but aren't freak athletes. You know, on offense, I really think Josh Palmer is a pretty good player. Um, you know, honestly, like to be productive in that Tennessee offense, that's tough. He's not going to be a first rounder. I looking at Ryan Wilson's mock draft, I. Don't think he's going to be a top 100 pick, but like, man, if my NFL team dry, you know, grabs four or five round, I'm cool with that. I also think like with, with the emphasis on playing in space now in the NFL and, and how many offenses are able to isolate individual defenders. And it's more than ever, you know, find the one guy who can't cover and pick on him. Having a guy like Asante Samuel, I don't know that he's a first rounder. I mean, he's probably going to go somewhere in that like 28 to 48 range. He can cover. Like he's not going to be a dominant player, I don't think, but like that's not a bad piece to have on your football team. So I look yeah. at production kind of in that second round somewhat over upside. Yeah. And like going back to the receiver, like when I'm looking at the receivers that I like, like this is probably a bad example because it blew up in my face, but like DK Metcalf, absolute athletic freak who in that offense 
wasn't really asked to do a whole lot more than run nines. So I'm always kind of skeptical of those guys because when you get to the NFL and they're going to ask you typically to run more than that, you got to learn how to be a receiver to get open against NFL defensive backs. And that you see a far bigger hit rate. So when I look at receivers and I'm evaluating, I'm looking for guys who are showing an ability to line up at different spots, who are showing an ability to run a bunch of different routes. And I'm showing guys who don't drop the damn ball. And then after they get it, can they do anything? Those are the guys I like more than anything. So, Tom, that's a really good point, though, because you said something key there. You said wasn't asked to do this, right? And Mm -hmm. I think that's really that's something NFL teams have to figure out. It's were you not asked to do this in this offense, or did you not do it because you couldn't do it? Mm -hmm. Which is why the athletic testing does matter. But like Ole Miss doesn't really ask you to run very many routes, right? It's kind of, you know. And I think that part of it, like you mentioned, like that study, I think a lot of what we've seen in the last decade, too, is because the way that college, you know, the spread offense kind of worked where it spread the guys out for, you know, a lot of four verts and all that kind of stuff. And these kids weren't asked to run these routes. Well, the NFL wasn't really running those offenses yet, and they were drafting the kids. So, like, you look at all those Baylor receivers in the Art Bryles years that got drafted who had great stats in college who didn't really amount to anything at the NFL level. I think now we're kind of seeing the NFL offenses catch up to where the adjustment for these guys isn't as great as it was. So I wouldn't be surprised if over the next decade we see that kind of thing even out a little bit. Where's a where's a position where you feel like um, there is a wealth – Uh, of talent like where's you mentioned defensive line earlier like that might be another one where I think you could even get down into your DL6 or DL7 and start to feel really really good like where do you think uh looking across the football field uh you it seems like things are are loaded in a way where you you really like the class uh for me I think this is a good QB class I really do I think there's a lot of decent depth I think that I think Fields and Lawrence are the top two by far. It kind of boosts it overall. I think running back is you're gonna. If this is the case every year. You're gonna you're gonna find a running back in the sixth or seventh round who's gonna end up being a very good player at the NFL. I like the receiver class a lot. Uh, I'm not huge this year on tight ends or offensive linemen. I don't think it's very good class for either of those. I don't think it's a great class for defensive linemen or like the traditional middle linebackers. And I think it's a pretty solid class for defensive backs. Doesn't that kind of flow with the way the game is evolving too? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I'm because I'm totally with you. Wide receivers, DBs, I think it's deep. I mean, I'm looking at these guys, and I'm just looking at a couple different lists where Dwami Brown of North Carolina is like the 17th best in this class. <laughs> he's I'm like sick. somebody's going to get a steal. Yeah, like, he's a baller. You know, like um, there's other names on here that I'm looking at. I'm just like, man, that is impressive. Like that you could get somebody third or fourth round that come in and contribute. Do you guys think we're getting, so I would tend to agree with you. I, the quarterback class, I'm not quite as sold on. And I think, it, you know, once you get past the Kellen Mond, then I think it's a crap. Now Davis Mills, I think is an interesting case study. I think he could be somebody that is there, toolsy. but definitely yeah. toolsy. Yeah. But hasn't played a lot. So it's kind mm-hmm. of there. Um, defensive tackle, I think is a little shallow. I don't think it's a great class for defensive tackle but it seems like a position teams aren't emphasizing as much. They want to get longer, faster. Nobody runs the ball anymore, so you don't really need that middle presence to clog. But Although, if you've got like an Aaron Ar- Donald is like the two-time NFL defensive MVP, he's still balling, you know. So it's. But if you got like a Darius Stills from West Virginia, like I'm not saying you should go get him early, but that dude is so disruptive and fast off the snap. Ali McNeil is somebody who like just exploded. You know, it's kind of felt like his player development was just starting to peak. Like I, 
I still see the some of those traditional spots where you can like point and be like that's that's somebody yeah, who can go be a pro. I would put them at the top of the DT class. So it's like Christian after you Barmore. get past, yeah, yeah. After, after you get past those three or four guys, there's it's not a great class, I don't think, for DTs. The first defensive player might not get taken until like eleven. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is not a great defensive class. I, I don't think overall. Um, is that cyclical? Does that line up with sort of so. what we've seen, at least I in think terms of value of the positions? Yeah. Yeah. And like this kind of tracks what we saw coming out recruiting wise for, for, for this say, year, yeah. right? Like we, we had an awesome defensive line class the year. It was like Rashawn Gary, um, Dexter Lawrence, like a bunch of those type dudes, right? And guess what? They kind of hit. Like they dominated the high school. They were huge. They were running times that, that guys that size shouldn't run. This year, I mean, thinking back to when they were in high school, quarterbacks, like they were really, really good. I think this is a, I, I tell you what, I think a lot of these guys, if they had actually somehow been able to go next year's draft, we'd have a lot fewer questions about it. We wouldn't be nitpicking as much because there wouldn't be that Trevor Lawrence against you know whom everybody's considered. Like if Fields was to go into 22 draft, I think he's your number one QB. You know, I think Trey Lance would be in consideration for it. You know, like I, you better get your quarterback now if you need a QB in the next two years. I think I don't really love what's coming up. Um, corner wise, somebody will pop. I, tr- I trust me. Will. I do this every year. Uh, there's going to be some quarterback, Spencer Rattler, come out and he'll be the next best thing. And, and then what's his backup just balled out? He might come out early too after just one year of starting. And we're Williams. like, bam, Caleb Williams. Um, <laughs> they, they evolve, bud. Trust me. Cause every year I'm like, there's nobody coming down the pipe. No one saw this Trey Lance kid coming out. Now he's going to be a top five pick. It's, no one, Mac Somewhat. Jones. Eh, be a typical old school like game manager Alabama quarterback. Now oh, yeah. Bryce to- Young will have the job. Mac Jones won't even <laughs> yes. have it by the middle of the exactly. season. Exactly. Exactly. Somewhat, somewhat off topic, but since you brought it up, I'm claiming I'm squatting on it now. I'm squatting on the Caleb Williams is better than Spencer Rattler. Oh, yeah. Quarterback man. competition. Yeah, big oh, major lessons from, uh, from spring practice. Uh, Charlie Brewer went 15 for 15 in the spring game and there's a quarterback competition at Oklahoma because Caleb Williams should you. be the starter. Charlie Brewer. Telling you he's better. The, uh, I, well, I mean, he, I got called out for saying immediately after last year's NFL draft, we did a crossover episode with the pick six podcast and we were like, listen, Jamie Newman, he is going to be, <laughs> you know, like Brock Purdy is going to be a problem y'all. And like Brock Purdy, and you know what? Back. You know, not Brock Purdy, but Jamie Newman might be a player that goes like the Steelers and big dude sits behind Big Ben and then just kind of disappears. We forget about him and then he gets an opportunity. I don't, maybe it's there. I, I got a question for all you guys. Oh, go ahead, Tom. I was going to say, I will wear this one. After, you know, the draft last year, they always want you to do like your way too early <laughs> mock draft for next season. So I did mine first round quarterback in my mock draft last year, Tanner Morgan. Yeah, that but he's, Big Ten loyalty just runs th- deep. He's still Swing there. A miss. You you could still <laughs> exactly. catch it. He didn't even leave. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> could be though next year. Right. He might be right in the year. He might he might be that guy. Head of my time. All right. What about if players guys- who play for Mike Sanford as a draft inefficiency? <laughs> all right. Like, his offenses are never good. And nope. I think Rashad Bateman is a good player. All right. We all have, I'm gonna give you guys a thousand dollars that you have to place on one player. And you can play it on this player. We'll have to come back to this if the cover three pot is around here. Let's say in 10 years. And the winner of the pot is the person who has the player with the most Pro Bowls. 
Who would you put the money on? What player? Penny Kyle Sewell. Pitts. Wait, who did Chip say? I heard Tom say Kyle Pitts. Who'd you say, Chip? Penny Sewell. Penny Sewell. Bud. Man. I you guys are gonna give it to him. I'm, I'm just gonna take him. Trevor. Pro Bowls? Wow. Maybe. I mean, if he's as good as everybody thinks he's going to be, we've all raved about him being the next Andrew Luck. I almost feel like we've dialed it back somewhat before this. Like, I almost feel tentative because I was so effusive in my praise with him. I do feel because the only thing, Bud, that makes me nervous is the quarterback factor. It's just you're more susceptible to what's around you. But it wasn't for Peyton Manning. I mean, they built around Peyton Manning. He was... One in 15 his rookie year and threw a bunch of interceptions, stuck with him, and then he was off to the Hall of Fame. Same with Andrew Luck. In theory, I mean, and he was put in a better position early. But if Trevor Lawrence is that good, bud, you might be right. I would probably lean towards Tom. I would probably go Kyle Pitts. I would probably – because I think what he does translates into the way the game is changing. And I think coaches are starting to realize the priority and the tight end position, what a mismatch it is. And when you get a unicorn like a Kyle Pitts who can run and do the things that he does, I, I would put my money on Kyle Pitts too. Also Irvin might stink. True. Why right. not? I mean, Nick Saban didn't resonate, you know, <laughs> like here we go. Here goes the Bama fan. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, no. Like, <laughs> no, come on, but like we'll bring it like urban might stink as an NFL head coach. And that yep. would absolutely impact Trevor Lawrence's individual success, especially for something like pro bowls where team success is going to be so linked to it at the quarterback position. Urban is not an X and O guy. Like he no. was the special teams coach. He's a recruiter and a motivator. Those two things, like they don't matter as much in the NFL. You can try to go out there and you get great speeches. And Nick Saban just gave a great one the other way about what to look for in NFL players. Like it was awesome. Straight coach would piss on him if he's on fire. <laughs> right. That was awesome. But I mean, I, I was just my daughter uh plays soccer and Zach Thomas, the Dolphins. I was out there talking to him about it. And you should hear the guys that played on Nick Saban's team for the Dolphins did not like him. They did not respond to his dictator style of coaching, my way or the highway, all business. Like I'm going to be in your face and I'm going to motor, you know, it just didn't work. I don't know if it does for him and it might like, it, it, might. it might, he might be awesome. And I hope it does. Like, I think it'd be great for the NFL world if it does, but I don't know. Like you're right. That's why. And then what happens to Trevor? Like if everyone's not responding to his messaging and his tactics and it's just not working, you're right. Two questions. Number one, Danny, was your dad the the team doctor who failed Drew Brees? So it's a long story. So if you ask Nick Saban, he have we told us on the pod before? That. Like like that? That's yeah, new. yeah. So my dad was on the Dolphin staff, and my dad was a knee specialist. So my so Drew Brees had his rotator cuff issues. My dad examined him. My dad examined Dante Culpepper. My dad collected a bunch of information on both of them presented it to Nick Saban and Nick Saban decided to go with Dante Culpepper. Now what my dad told him, and this is what was kind of consensus among the doctors that Drew Brees had seen and been examined by was he would make a full recovery, but the first year he would be back, he would be limited somewhat. And Saban's response was, well, you can't expect me to go out there and play a full season with a quarterback who's limited Culpepper was going to be ready to play sooner, full speed sooner. And at the time, it wasn't that controversial of a take. 
Right. You know, like everybody was like, yep, Dante Culpepper, go with him. And I, I was here in Miami. Everybody loved the pick. You know, oh, this guy's going to be the superstar. And then you take away Randy Moss from Dante Culpepper, and it's amazing how things change. Um, so, yeah, he was a part of it. It's kind of – it's morphed a little bit over time, the stories. And uh, I know Saban was just on our All Things Covered podcast, and he gave kind of the Nick Saban version. And I think my dad even tells a story. He said he saw Nick one time about five or six years ago. And Saban even said to my dad, like kind of joking, but, you know, deep down, he's like, man, I'd still be in the NFL if you hadn't let me take Drew Brees. Like, but my dad just gave him the information, said, here you go. You do it with what you want. And uh, it was, you know, quarterback. You get a guy with a bum knee or you get a guy with a bum arm, and it seems like it was – the no-brainer decision, but looking back on it. And it wasn't like teams were clamoring for Drew Brees either. No really guarantee. The Saints were it. No guarantee, by the way, that, that Drew Brees is as good for, for Saban back then because Saban was still very like defense, 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 whereas Sean Payton was. was Sean Payton. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly. Okay, I have a question for you. If the Niners are smoke screening this Mac Jones stuff Oof. and they pop Justin Fields, where does Mac Jones go? Like, how far does he drop? Is he still a top 10 in you guys' mind, or is he kind of like back half? I don't think he falls out of the top 10 because I think somebody trades up to get him. Mm, I don't know. Like, I could see the Patriots trading up. I could see the Bears trading up. I could see a few teams trading up. Okay. There's, there, I think this is going to be a – and I hope it does. I mean, I love the drama, of, and I cannot wait because – I'm kind of tired of the mock drafts. No offense to all the gurus that are out there. We got some great ones that do it. Tom, yours was awesome. Um, but I'm kind of over it. <laughs> yeah. But I'm over it. So I just when – I, when I can't wait. And I, I think, like, there's going to be some falls. And I do think that we all fall victim to kind of the brands, the players that we watch. And I think it's the same with everybody. Like, we can study all the tape we want, but kind of the narrative goes a certain way. And I know it was in the last, it was in the second round last year. But I mean, then the Patriots took uh, the dude from the Nor Reiner was like scrambling, like, who the heck is this guy? And there was one article written about how Belichick had studied him at, in the rain. It was Kyle Duggar. Remember that? Oh, yeah. And everybody was like, who? Like, what are you guys talking about? There are going to be some of those players in the first round, late in the first round. Everybody's going to be scrambling, didn't show up on one mock draft. And there's going to be a player that thinks he's going in the first round because he's looked at all these mock drafts and, you know, all of a sudden not everyone's going to love him as much as the mock drafts loved him. And it's just going to, it's going to be brutal for him. That's a hell of a segue, Danny, (laughs) because we we actually have a game. uh, You you weren't on the earlier call. We have a game for our cover three listeners. I'm I'm going to drop the, uh, the the Google spreadsheet on, on our Twitter handle sometime after the show. I still have to make it. Um, so we have a game we played last year on the Barton and Bud pod, RIP. And not to Barton, but to the not, Barton and yeah, Bud pod. Right. Yeah. He's not dead. Um, Bart Barton's still, still kicking as of like yesterday at least. Uh, so basically, we want you to pick. Everybody's going to go in the first round. Not in order, but you're going to submit your list. And on your list, you need to have all 32 picks. Now, your list might be 50 guys, might be 60 guys, maybe 35 guys if you're real confident. The winner of this game is going to get a cover three shirt or hat we're going to clear it with legal or just buy it ourselves if legal tells us no, whatever. So the winner of the game is you have all 32 picks on your list and you have the shortest list. So I think last year, the guy that won it had like 65 dudes listed, which you'd think you'd be better than that, right? But this, this, is, this is far from a certainty. 
So you know, how much risk do you want to take in this? It'll be kind of fun. Really looking forward to playing this with the cover three listeners. I know, I know our staff, we plan it as well. One entry per Twitter handle, obviously. Um, and your Twitter handle has to have a picture, I think, right? Like you at least have to have a, uh, like you can't just have a million entries. So, okay. So is that uh, fair? I, I didn't know if you were like anti-dog av- Avi. No, no, no. Like it needs to be like, you can't just be like, like a total like blank profile. That would be a lot of effort to put in multiple like 65 uh, player these entries. Are $45 <laughs> hats, man. Have you seen these hats? <laughs> these things ain't cheap. Uh, get yeah. the flat brim one too. Don't yeah. give him that. Don't yeah. give him the dad hat one. Give him the sweet flat brim one. Get the, get the, get the Kyle Shanahan, not the Jimbo. Right. And that, that what we're going with as uh, as our thing. So again, um, you make a list of players and your list includes every first round pick, and it's the shortest list among those who have every first round pick. At Cover Three Podcast on Twitter, uh, that's where you can find the link, and you can win some free swag. You can always go buy yourself some swag uh, after you you come in second place here. Go to store.cbsports.com. Danny Cannell right now flexing the the flat brim Cover Three hat, switching out. Always you can watch us on YouTube, YouTube.com slash cover three make sure you're subscribed late thursday night we will have a first round instant reaction podcast following up on some of these predictions uh plenty of takes that we've already planted the seed for here you can follow him on twitter at bud elliott three you can follow him at tom fernelli you can follow him at danny cannell you can follow me at chip underscore patterson gentlemen thank you very much thank you Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.